And we are back for another week here on Ed and Red. Uh, Liana is with me as usual, or else it wouldn't be Ed and Red. Hello, Liana. Hello. I am now, mostly here anyway. Yeah, you're mostly here, which uh, we should let people know means that uh, you have been under the weather this week. Want to tell us why? Well, I'm, I can you really say it's under the weather? Because it was I got my uh, COVID booster and it just walloped me for like two and a half days. Well, and, and counting. And counting. Yeah, I'm still not I'm still not totally right, but I just keep reminding myself if the booster is this bad, can you imagine what COVID's like? I got a, uh, a relative who's uh, uh, 65 and mm-hmm. not in terrible health or anything, but uh, I think she was kind of a COVID denier. COVID, yeah. skeptic, I would say. Um, got COVID. She's in her third week of barely being able to do anything, barely having any energy. First two weeks, she could, she could barely muster getting out of bed. Yeah, so that's but how bad COVID is. Yeah, I mean, and obviously individual results vary, right? Some people get it. I mean, some people have no problem after the booster. They're they're fine. I uh, uh, I it hit me a couple of days after I got the booster. Yeah, that's odd. I had uh, maybe three days later. Uh, somebody warned me on Twitter that it that it got him a few it's, days later. It sneaks and I up thought, on you. Yeah, I thought, ah, come on, this guy's full of crap. Right. Because uh, um, how, you know, how does the body work that it takes that many days for it to work its way through? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but it did. And it hit me and uh, it knocked me out for day and a half or so. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, petered my energy down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, but again, I'd rather have that than have COVID. Yeah, but I mean, this is going to be the reality. Every six months, they're already talking about a, an Omicron-specific booster for the summer. Well, will that help you get your, your best beach bod? I I don't... It's just... It's going to be one of these things every six months until, you know, humanity has adapted to this virus. And there's nothing we can really do about it other than be cool and smart and decent to each other about it and you know be understanding that you know people need people may need a couple days or in my case more than a couple of days to get the boosters so we're you know so we're safe and it's the it's the difference between um you know I, me being out for three days and me being out, you know, like your relative for three weeks. Yeah. You know, uh, like be smart about this, but, but businesses aren't, they're still slave driving people. And then they're complaining that people don't show up to work. Well, I mean, businesses have been stupid for years because they push you to come to work when you're sick or they say, we're not going to pay you if you don't, you know, there's no paid sick days come to work when you're sick. When you yeah. come to work and you're sick, you're, you're less productive for one thing. So yeah. the work you do is probably going to be half-assed. And then you're spreading it to other people. So you're going to get other people who will either take off of work or come into work sick and do mm-hmm. work half-assed. Yeah. And, they, and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and yeah. so on and so on. It's so counterproductive. Like businesses sometimes don't think. They're just so work, 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 nose to the grindstone. 
they, they make like people taking time out to be sick is some sign of being uh, lazy. Oh, they, they do. That's how they treat it. And, uh, you know, but but when the boss gets sick, the boss is sick. The boss is gone, you know, for, the, right. for days. But, but that's but, that's always the way it works. Right. That the boss has different rules than everybody else. Yeah, well, I, I just, they're the boss. I, I one of the things that's been good lately is that, you know, the the just the realities of the markets right now, the realities of hiring mean that companies are going to eventually have to start treating people better. They haven't quite got the memo on that yet. They're giving lip service to it, but not really doing what they need to do. But, you know, it's it's coming. People have options now. People have alternatives. I've had discussions with a lot of people who, you know, don't like the job they're in. And there's this understanding that you don't have to stay in a job you hate now. There are there are options. This is this is the way this is the way capitalism is supposed to work, not the cronyism that we've been used to for so many years now. This, this is how free markets work when they work, they work. Yeah, but you know what? I wonder, they say that, you know, there's jobs available, but are the jobs available in the same uh, industry that you're working in? So, you know, you leave because you hear jobs are plentiful, but there aren't jobs that are plentiful with the kind of work that you do. I think it's a bit misleading when people say there's jobs everywhere falling out of the sky like it's oh, raining I'm, men. I'm it's... talking I'm talking people, uh, you know, in food services and stuff like that, like right. They can get better jobs than a lousy base wage and working for tips, you know, because there are other jobs available now and the requirements for hiring are, are changing and, and, you know, reducing because companies are finally going, OK, what do we really need? Because we need someone in this job. Well, uh, I, you know, they call it the great resignation. Yeah, I think it, I've read that it's it's more pronounced in the U.S. than here. Um but it's still affecting here. I don't know. Is this really a seismic shift or is this a temporary bump and things are going to go right back to the way they were before? Well, there are a few factors to consider there, Ed. Are we, we going to talk about this? Are we are we going to be wonky here? Yeah, I'm, let's I'm, be Willy Wonky. I, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't said something about you know, I don't know, petty revenge or farts yet. I Maybe this is hey, the COVID well, vaccine. Don't spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. But uh, so what's happening is yes, younger people are quitting their jobs and moving, but especially in the U S boomers are finally going, forget this and retiring their um, personal portfolios have recovered some from the subprime mortgage thing. They're sick of all this stuff. Their priorities have shifted they have different um, definitions of success. And so they're leaving the workforce permanently. Now, what that's doing is that's actually creating those promotional opportunities that were lacking before for people because the boomers weren't retiring, that that uh, silver wave is finally cresting. So that is a permanent change. Now, I mean, the other thing that happened in the US was that immigration was radically curtailed. Now that could change, right? But it so um, far hasn't. It, it hasn't. So Well, it, it has, but it hasn't. I mean, that's a dicey issue, especially in the US. But 
you know, if if they loosen the immigration policy, they bring more people in that that can affect hiring, that can affect the the job situation. Um, but it it seems like it is at least semi permanent, which is good for everyone. You know, and enough of this this nonsense treating people like disposable cogs in a machine just because we don't properly appreciate, you know, the barista that makes your coffee. Think about what would happen if you didn't get that coffee that you rely on every single day. Think about how important that is to you. Don't you want that person making a living wage, even if it means you may have to pay 10 cents more for your mocha frappuccino? No, most people would rather not pay the 10 cents. Most people would rather not think about the fact that See, the I, person giving them the coffee is a peon, barely eking out a living. They're, as far I as disagree. they're concerned, they just made bad choices in life or they're I, young and this is an early job and early jobs suck. I think most people would rather not have the 10 cents and, and not think about it. See, I disagree because that particular coffee chain, I'm not talking about McDonald's coffee, right? I'm talking about a coffee chain that is already ridiculously overpriced. Once you start paying $6 for a blinking coffee, who cares about 10 cents more? This is what people need to start considering with how they spend their money. When you're, when you're insisting that people work for slave wages, for your overpriced, you know, luxury item. When in truth, you could make your own coffee at home. I do. Uh, you know, doesn't that person who is giving you that nice thing deserve better? And 10 cents, 10 cents is not people who, who are buying this stuff are not going to miss 10 cents. So you have one coffee you know, say every weekday, that's 50 cents a week. That's $2 a month for God's sakes. Now you sound like Sally Struthers. Yeah, though that I mean, but isn't that telling, isn't it? That we're talking about wages in North America, the way people used to talk about starving children in Africa. Well, the thing is, if you tell people that the coffee's going up 10 cents, they will be upset. If you just raise the coffee 10 cents, Chances are they won't. If they notice, they'll shrug it off. You know, there was one guy on my Twitter who was saying that uh, he'd sure he'd love to charge more. He's got a burger place. But uh, if he adds 50 cents per burger, people are going to go somewhere else. My thought is most of the time, the reason you go for a burger is it's it's nearby. It's good. It's nearby. And it's a good burger. So most I mean, really, how many burgers do you have in a week that 50 cents more on a burger? is gonna drive you to go somewhere else, to, to move, go, go physically to another location that may be further away in order to save 50 cents. Like yeah. I, I, it, 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 it beggars the imagination. The problem is that it's not that, it, 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 it's not just imaginary. There are people who will get mad and say, I'm gonna go somewhere and, and spend 50 cents in gas to get the, other, the, the burger that's 50 cents cheaper. Well, and that's also people needing to recognize you need to support your local businesses. And I mean, especially burgers, cost of meat is ridiculous now. It it should just be a fundamental thing. Pay your people a living wage. It costs what it costs. 
And if we all accept that and we all stop trying to go for cheap, 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 then, you know, everybody will do better because yes, you're right. People aren't going to miss that 50 cents, especially since you shouldn't be eating that much red meat a month. Oh, the, the uh, conservative Twitter is going to go crazy on me for saying you shouldn't eat so much red meat every, every, every week. That's apparently a culture war point. Now health, basic health things are culture war points now. Well, because I mean, the conservatives really, really want colon cancer. I don't think you can say that. I just did. You Stop just did. Me. <laughs> there we go. Now we found I'm the drunk level with my own power. But yeah, apparently bacon is now an identity thing. That pointing out that if you're, you know, if bacon is too expensive, you really, you know, you could eat less bacon and be okay. Oh no, that's my freedom territory now. It, People are, and, and this is a minority, right? I, and I don't know if you saw that, uh, that post-mortem on the last election. Uh, the from conservative, conservative post-mortem? Yeah. I saw the headline and I was like, maybe, do I really care about how Maybe we should talk changes? about that. It's, it's actually kind of interesting. Well, typical then I should read of, it during a break. Typical of the modern conservative party. Party members are already complaining about the, the report. But maybe that's an interesting to talk about. Well, there's no, I mean, conservative crybabies um, are no less crybabies than radical left crybabies. They're all, these days, every, every, every part of the political spectrum is filled with crybabies. Everybody, if, if it's not exactly what they want, they cry, they, they whine, they gnash their teeth, they rend their garments, and they do most of it on, on social media. Why? Well, never seen in my lifetime such a group of whiners as I see on, I admit, I'm seeing it on social media mostly, which is a narrow view of humanity, um, well, but, but also they, it's they, there. They see it being rewarded from other people and they don't, they're not contextualizing it. And, and you know, they may have a point in the case of, well, if, if everything's grievance politics and it's all about you know, who has it worse, then why not scream blue murder about the smallest things? Now, a lot of people end up looking extremely stupid, like that guy who um, Chastin Buttigieg put up a cute tweet about his husband, who happens to be the U.S. Transportation Secretary. And, you know, they've got they've got two babies at home now. Right. They um, uh, and this one guy was like, I haven't had a full night's sleep in 17 years, single dad the whole time. And no time off. And people are like, your your 17-year-old doesn't sleep through the night. But, well, if, if you had this guy as a father, would you feel comfortable sleeping well, at night? You'd probably have night terrors all the time. This is the thing, but people are clearly looking for a place to feel vulnerable, and they're doing it in all the wrong ways. It's writ large, the whole... When I went to school, I walked both ways up, uphill uh, in through snow. You think you got it bad? You don't got it bad. I had it bad. Now, everybody is saying, you think you had it bad? I had it. And you know, you really can't compare, in most cases, working people's circumstances to each other. Right. Because every person, every family has its own challenges, has its own ups and downs in life. Nobody except for the wealthy really have it easy 
as far as just trying to make it to go ahead, get ahead in life and not even get ahead, keep, keep pace with life. Everybody's got their own things. And to compare, if somebody has one particular aspect of their life that you think is easier than your aspect of your life, fine. But if you compared your lives side by side, you would find uh, equally weighted that you, you both got crap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, I did actually walk uphill both ways to school when I was a kid How do you just do because that? there was a huge hill. Oh, so it was like a U. So yeah, it was like a U. So no matter what, both ways, you had this huge incline, like you went down, but then you went up. And that was sort of the joke is, you know, whenever somebody was like, I walk both ways, uphill both ways to school in the snow. It's like, go to school anywhere near the Sentinel and Finch area of Toronto. Everybody walks uphill both ways to school. Well, is it, that's that's kind of metaphorical and emblematic of Sentinel and Finch in Toronto. Yeah. For those yeah. who don't know, not not a well-to-do neighborhood traditionally. It's just east of Jane Jane and Finch for people. The 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 hill was between Sentinel and Finch and Jane and well Driftwood and Finch. So like Tobermory and Sentinel, the the there's a ravine there, and so you, it's yeah, yeah, and so it, it's a big dip. If you think you've heard uh, Driftwood before. It has been in the news, usually associated with shootings. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to uh, a break. When we come back, Freedom Convoy, honk, honk. <laughs> we'll talk about that and, uh, and more uh, stuff coming up. Um, actually, I think we're going to save the Freedom Convoy, honk, honk, for a uh, segment after. The next segment, we're going to come up and talk about kind of everyday BS people give you when, uh, especially in work situations. Um, so we're going to talk about that and, uh, we got other things to talk about as well. And during the break, I'm going to read this conservative thing because you want to talk about that. Right. right. All right. Right. So I'll read that during the break. Uh, we'll be back here on Ed and Red on Saga 960 AM. All right. We are back. And uh, we're going to tie in two topics here. You'll see how they come together with an actual natural bridge. Uh, we're going to talk first about the report that came out from the conservatives, the postmortem, um, which means after death uh, report about uh, how they, why they didn't win the last election, where their problems were. And the answer appeared to be everywhere. everywhere. There's not a <laughs> single thing they pointed to. It was like, well, at least we did well here. Everything they did was wrong, according yeah, to the really... people who compiled this report. Everything was yeah. wrong. They really are downplaying it. They're really smallballing it. But it was everything. It was the message. It was the platform. It was the the you know presentation of the leader. They said O'Toole was overcoached. Um, but it, it's also the party brand that they're still hurting from the uh you know barbaric cultural practices stuff from 2015 minority communities just still don't trust canadian conservatives well what has changed in conservative messaging since barbaric cultural practices what has come out and said you know what we were wrong in that where have they really really embraced uh ethnic communities and the answer you know is nowhere that's a that's a really interesting point that I've been hearing a lot online, Ed, the idea that 
we are not in an era anymore because you know how politics never apologize. It seems weak. Just move on or pivot. Yeah. It seems that people actually want are insisting now that people actually say I was wrong. And, you know, people want that now. People want somebody to say it. I, I think that's something that Trudeau, despite the faults of his own campaign team and his own communication shop, he is willing to say, I was wrong about things. I was wrong. I screwed up. I'm sorry. When Trudeau is not overcoached, that's when he starts doing well. And that's what I think happened in the uh, in the last election that he started off really. They didn't have their platform out. They didn't really have a message. He was Trudeau is very bad on script. It's amazing to me that he hasn't gotten much better in all the time he's been a politician. When he has to like read copy, when he has to hit a talking point, he he's halting, he falters. When he's just talking off the cuff, like when he was talking about those people that threw gravel at him or, you know, about the vaccines and stuff like that, um, that's him. And that's where he really shines. And O'Toole, O'Toole was never really that. Do you remember that dumb, badly photoshopped fake magazine cover? Yeah, they, where they, 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 they took the body of some young, fit uh, guy. Whatever in that was. And they yeah. shoved his head on top yeah, of it. Yeah, I don't know what that was. But, you know, the beginning of the conservative campaign was all what money can do. Right. They had a the conservatives always have a huge fundraising advantage on, on the other, the other parties. And so that showed with their, with their rollout, they really hit the ground running with, with the election. But then as it went on, yes, Trudeau stopped being quite so overcoached and O'Toole didn't. And yes, O'Toole sounded like a very different guy than he did when he was running for the leadership. And in this day and age where everything is recorded and put on the internet, that matters. (laughs) That matters a lot. Um, But I just also think, I I think that O'Toole is not, he doesn't have those leadership qualities that are needed. You know, Stephen Harper was a bastard in a lot of ways, but he made decisions right? You felt like he was in charge. And I, I don't think Stephen Harper's brand of leadership would work now, but I don't know what O'Toole's brand of leadership is. He just seems to want to please everybody and ends up pleasing no one. And so well, he's he, got this, this thing weak. is a flip They identify that he's weak on, on policy because he didn't stick to his guns on Pardon things the pun. like yeah, gun rights and yeah. uh, medical uh, conscience uh, provisions yeah. and things like that. He he came out with very bold statements and then backtracked. And that is that is different than saying I was wrong about something. Right. Uh, when you go out and you're campaigning, that that platform has to be something you stand behind. Oh yeah. You have to say something is wrong before you go out with the platform. You got yep. it within the halls of your little power, little party. You got to say, this is crap. This is yep. never going to connect with anybody, but there's so many yes men and yes women there that, and they're also drinking from the same Kool-Aid that they don't, they're, they're disconnected from human beings 
and they they don't you know they get into this mindset this rah 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 mindset and they feed each other red meat and they they don't stop and say wait a minute is this really going to connect uh, they need to they need to when you go out with a campaign promise it mm -hmm. needs to have been so researched the issue has to be so researched there'll be no reason for you to backtrack on a campaign I mean, it's one thing when you're in power to have done something and then later on say, we learned that wasn't the way to go about it. Mm -hmm. That's the time to do the, we, you know, we, we've learned. But in a campaign, you got to stand behind every promise you make, no matter how stupid. Yeah. I mean, you look at yeah. uh, John Tory when he was running for uh, the premier of Ontario. He had a position on independent religious schools. Yeah, parochial schools. Yeah. It was and such a turkey of a campaign issue. It was, it was so minor. It affected so few people. Yeah but it made so many conservatives mad. Um, and he, but he stuck to his guns instead of saying that, uh, you know, well, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm turning the other way. I'm changing my mind. He stuck to his guns because he had integrity. Yeah, he lost, but chances are he, he would have lost, lost anyway. anyway. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. Backtracked, they they would have said that he's got, he's got no spine. So at least he came out of it, he lost, but he lost with his head held high because he wasn't, uh, he stood behind something he actually believed in. I have a hard time finding a lot of politicians on the right with anything they believe in other than um, everybody except for us is overpaid um, and people are lazy. Unless you've got somebody like Maxime Bernier who believes a lot of crazy stuff, but he seems to sincerely believe it. Well, Maxime Bernier, I'm surprised he didn't play hockey because he's got, He's got like Theo Fleury syndrome of too many pucks to the head. But I mean, he seems to, and I, I don't know guys who are that, who go that fringe. I really wonder what they believe, but he at least seems to sell it. And I mean, that's, that's the big challenge with modern politics now is what do you do about the crazy fringe of your, you know, wing of the political spectrum? How do you handle the zealots? That seems to be the thing that 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 campaigns rise and fall on now. How do you handle the extremists? Well, if it was me, I'd throw them out and then let them go to some other fringe party. But then I'm not a politician. You know, I would the, the, the fear is if you get rid of them, you get a wild rose party like in Alberta that threatens the conservatives. Um, so well, if you're I mean, a conservative party and you've got a, a, a rump uh, in Alberta that's, uh, that are a bunch of hicks um, that are you know, unreconstructed cave people, um, you are afraid to, to, to turn your back on them um, and say, look, we're not interested in, what you, in that particular attitude because you're afraid they're going to go form a party that'll take more of the, 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 the crazy right wing vote and you'll be left with nothing. But the, the, the other thing they're not thinking about is if you don't hew so far to the right wing, you're more likely to get votes from people in the middle. And there's more but people in the middle than there are on the far right. That That is the problem that the modern Conservative Party of Canada has, because that's not an idle threat, right? I remember, remember the Reform Party. Well, the Reform Party is why we have the type of conservatives we that's have now. Right. That's right. They just absorbed the Progressive Conservative Party. But the policies that appease out West, you know, that the prairies can't win in Ontario and Ontario for better or for worse decides Canadian elections. 
every single cycle. And Quebec. Quebec less so because they just, the, the block resurged. And so Quebec is sort of a write-off now. Well, I guess it's votes not, neither conservative nor liberal get. Yeah, they're, they're null votes because the block just, the block is the block. And that was the liberal path to a majority. Yes, that's the difference between a majority and minority. But Quebec is, when you vote for a party that only has interests in that part of the country, you're nullifying your effect elsewhere. And so, you know, governments are formed with, the Ontario vote and and specifically the GTA. It's just so population dense. I don't know what to say to that. I don't have a funny comeback. I actually <laughs> I actually learned that from uh, Gerald Butts's Twitter feed. He did a whole breakdown after the election <laughs> of seat counting. Now I can laugh because his name is Butts. I, I give I give that guy credit for for wearing that name. Um, he, he seems like a pretty cool guy. But yeah, he broke down just where the seat tallies are and that's the canadian system and if you can't win in ontario you can't win there just aren't enough seats in the rest of the country it's just the way our population is concentrated and you won't win in ontario with hard right policies they did once twice with mike harris and i think people since then have felt uh burned um mm -hmm. and not willing to go and that was 30 years ago well wow, that's the that's the problem with uh Ontario provincial politics is still 30 years ago. There are people who still hold a grudge against the Ray government. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> 30 years ago, the world has changed. Politics has changed. Bob Ray changed parties. Yeah. But it's still okay to but be mad at a party from 30 years ago. Yeah, but that's what people do. Something happened that really impacted their lives and, and they never forget it. And there is just no budging people when they have that sort of emotional reaction. And that's well, the problem the conservatives are having right now. There's going to be an emotional reaction in the control room if we don't go to a commercial. Yes. So we're going to do that. Go to a commercial. We'll be back. Oh, we didn't tie both things together. We're going to come we'll back. Tie, to we'll tie else. it after the break. <laughs> um, on uh, Here on uh, Saga 960 AM. Stay with us. All right, as we were saying, Leanna. Yes. As we were saying, <clears throat> one of the things that's interesting about the uh, conservative um, report, and the report on the conservatives, how poorly they did in the last election and why, it's <clears throat> people are basically saying, or O'Toole's saying, it really wasn't me, it was my, it was my, uh, my team. So it's, it's not criticism for me, it's criticism for them. Well, insiders, yeah, insiders are saying, you know, the criticisms of him were that he was overcoached. That's not a criticism of him. It's a criticism of his team. And this is touching on a big pet peeve of my, it's more than a pet peeve. This is something that makes me see red. The whole people, especially regarding criticism, they think that they can, it's a panacea against being accountable for the criticism they dish out if they say, don't take this as criticism. If a leader isn't enough of a leader to tell his people, don't overcoach me, that's a criticism of him. 
saying it's not a criticism of him doesn't change the fact that it's a criticism of him. It's a cowardly, dishonest tactic that was used on me this week. And it made me so angry. I was jittery for two days. Well, okay. Give us a generic account of what, well, what happened. Okay. Basically, somebody spent 40 minutes criticizing my work in extremely condescending terms and then said, don't take this as criticism. And, you know, the condescension's on them. I, I don't, you know, that's, that's life being a woman in the media. You get condescended to. It's life being a woman in a lot of fields. It's life being anyone in a lot of fields right now. But, and criticism, criticism comes with the job. You know, when when you are doing things and, and you have to hit a certain a certain benchmark, criticism part of it. You expect criticism. Constructive criticism is very useful. Me personally, I look forward to constructive criticism. I don't like it when somebody says that criticism is not criticism because I don't care that they're criticizing me. I may think their criticisms are dead wrong and not useful. And, you know, I may think they're a, a, an a-hole by the way they're doing it. But the minute somebody says up is down or black is white, you know, it's then that's it. I, I have no respect for people who do that because they're just trying to do something without owning that they're doing it. And at that point, you know, I don't respect them anymore. Their criticism now is not useful to me because they're not honest. And the people, the people you take constructive criticism, part of the reason that criticism is constructive is that it's honest. And if somebody is so duplicitous that they pull the, I'm going to criticize you for 40 consistent minutes and then say, don't take any of this as criticism. Well, they just made useless everything they said before that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, uh, they're lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, and people don't it's like BS. the word lying. It, you know what? It's BS. It's if not. If you're going to criticize, own that you're criticizing. Make your criticism constructive. Um, but if you're going to criticize, own that it's criticism. Don't tell somebody, like, yeah. don't piss in my ear and tell me it's yeah. raining. Yeah. Like, and, it, it, this has been criticism. Why won't you stand up behind it and say it's criticism? Because if it's not criticism, what exactly has all this been? And that, well, that, that was the thing. I, I didn't mind the feedback. I didn't mind the criticism. I minded that it was about as clear as mud. But, and it went on way too long. But, you know, individual points, okay, fair. But don't talk down to me and tell me something is what it isn't. I mean, somebody is no less allergic to peanuts if you tell them it's not peanuts, right? That's just not the way objective reality works. And people are so spineless about this stuff now. And it, to me, it is a form of... I got to be real careful with my word choices here because people react very strongly, but it is a form of manipulation to not stand behind things, especially if someone's, you know, a superior or a supervisor or something like that. Constructive criticism is part of that gig, right? And 
there are better ways to criticize, more effective ways to criticize people and less effective ways to criticize people. But dodging accountability for being critical because that's what's trendy right now. You know, oh, I'm not mad. Oh, that's not criticism. Oh, I have nothing against you. All this nonsense that is just absolutely not true. And it's completely eroding connections between people and everybody's paranoid because nobody is telling the truth because it's not socially acceptable to have the basic building blocks of accountability. And it just makes me nuts. Well, I'm sure that there are many people out there who can relate to this. And there's some people out there who probably think learned in management techniques to say, no, no, don't take this as criticism. Like, you know, trying to, to, to blunt something okay, that's not, when all that's you're not doing, good, yeah, that's not you're good. Doing, management, all you're doing is insulting somebody's intelligence. Yeah, that's not good management though. It's like, I just kicked you in the privates, but don't take that as a kick in the privates. Well, the, the funny thing is after, you know, this one person criticized me, it went on for 90 minutes. Okay. So there was another 50 minutes of not criticism after dude said it wasn't criticism. Mm-hmm. And the other person who was there, what, what was his advice to me? Shake it off. Well, if it's not criticism, why do I need to shake it off? I mean, the reality distortion field was so rich. It's kind of funny now that I've broken it down and actually broken it into its component parts. But this, this is, I, I'm convinced, Ed, that this is part of the reason everything is so word I can't say on the radio right now is, is civility is apparently based on a foundation of BS. And I am so sick of it. I am so sick of it, right? Because first of all, the implication that you can say anything you want to somebody as long as you say, don't take this as criticism. Because I mean, that, that, puts, the, that puts the responsibility on the other person. That, that means the person's not responsible for what they say and how they say it. It's all about how the other person receives it. And, oh, if you take this as criticism, now you're doing something wrong. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It is just junk. And people get away with this stuff because nobody calls them on it because everything is this nicey, nicey game where people say, I feel instead of I think. And that means that anything they say afterwards can't be questioned because it's a feeling. It's like everybody's over therapy now and it's all weaponized. And so we get this nonsense where people believe this insane stuff based on magical thinking and we get like the freaking trucker convoy to Ottawa right now, which is a joke that is not funny. But, you know, don't take that as criticism, trucker convoy. I'm just, you know, it's not criticism. Don't take it as criticism. That's not going to work, right? Well, what I said was clearly a criticism. (laughs) For some, it might work. You never know. No, it's, it's just a head fake. It's just a head fake. Like, that's a shining example. Like, this is just my opinion. Don't take it as criticism. I think you're insane and an idiot, right? That doesn't work. But that's that's what people do. And they don't question it. They, they are so wrapped in solipsistic tautologies. And I just use two words that most people don't know what they mean. And that's part of the problem. We don't teach critical thinking anymore. 
people like Jordan Peterson are considered paragons of critical thinking, or at least he was for, you know, a few months back in the day, enough to do some damage. Well, that's but, something we were going to talk about in our next in the next section. Yeah, I mean, do do we really need to say more about this this ridiculous trucker convoy? I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch. It feels kind of like a movie of the week. Like you kind of see this as sort of like a Chuck Norris movie or maybe Steven Seagal. In in that way, it's kind of an amusement. But the people it's picking up, it's the usual suspects, right? It's it's a minority fringe of the population that likes to make a lot of noise and sees, you know, people occupying the same physical space as proof that they're right. So they don't have to change their mind, even though they're just lagging behind the rest of the world. Well, it's it less than 10 percent of truckers are taking part. Yeah, it's like it's, it's not even a minority of truckers. It's 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 Sorry, majority less than 10 percent. Yeah. Maybe I think less than five percent of truckers are taking part in this. And there's and, and there's that percentage of lunatics in any field, any field. You're going to find. Oh, yeah. You're going to find bumpkins like that. Um, they don't all have trucks is the thing. And you know what? Truckers are uh, a very important part yes. of our uh, 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 of our supply chain in bringing us the things we need. We rely on every single day. Um, so I will listen to them about mileage. I will listen to them about what truck stops are the best. I will not listen to them about medical advice. It's just crazy, the, the crazy way that I am. I don't believe a trucker has done the kind of research that is necessary because in order to do research and I'm good research, you need to have a grounding in the science in the first place. And in order, in order to be able to tell what is and isn't BS, because people throw BS terms at you on Google that sound scientific -y, and people think that they understand. They don't understand. They, they, they say things that if you're actually somebody grounded with knowledge, you're able to tell, well, that's a load of crap. So people who do their own research, don't do your own research because you haven't got the you haven't got the grounds, the, the backing, the background to understand what you're reading. And furthermore, your research needs to be peer reviewed, which means it needs to be repeated and found yeah. to be true by other people. Doing your own research on your own is not peer reviewed. Yeah. Therefore, you are not doing your own research. You're well, Googling crap. Well, the other thing is, I mean, is, you know, I'm getting my butt kicked by uh, this this booster right now. It's like, come on, it's two or three days out of your life max for, you know, the, the benefits to society so outweigh feeling garbage for a couple of days. And like, I felt super garbage. I spent, uh, you know, two nights ago feeling like I was going to throw up all night. But so what if this means not only I don't get sick, but I don't spread it to other people or if I do get sick, it's more mild and I spread it to fewer people. All the better. I'll take the hit, toughen up and just do it. My God, all this flag waving and you know what swinging. This is cowardly. You'd rather scream than do the hard thing. Period. End of story. They just don't want to do the hard thing. Well, truckers are typically afraid of other people's hard things. All right, we're going to go to a break. And uh, don't don't stick with high truckers. This is a minority of truckers. Truckers are fine people. All right, these truckers. Uh, there's actually apparently a lot of uh, Muslim women who are getting into trucking. 
Really? You don't see them out there. Oh, yeah, it's a growth thing. I saw an article about it. Uh, not necessarily long haul, but uh, short haul. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, but you don't them. see them represented out in, in this, right? It's like the stereotypical Mark Dalton trucker detective. Well, there's a reference. Yeah, look that right up. There. Um, yeah. We'll be back on Saga 960 AM. <laughs> Well, we've only got a few minutes left, but this yeah. topic shouldn't take much more than that. Uh, Neil Young uh, this week issued an ultimatum to Spotify, said that uh, if they don't start, if they don't get rid of Joe Rogan because of Joe Rogan's uh, frequent uh, uh, introduction on his show of non-medical facts, of non-science, uh, his COVID denialism and, and, and mm -hmm. things like that, if they don't get rid of Joe, Joe Rogan, then Neil Young wanted his, his music taken off of Spotify. And Spotify responded by taking Neil Young's music off of Spotify. Because they, they have millions invested in Joe Rogan. They don't have millions invested in Neil Young. So it was obviously which decision they were going to make. And now sure. there's other artists coming forward. Uh, uh, apparently that's not confirmed. I just looked it up. The, there's, there's rumors, but nobody's... Uh, the problem is a lot of artists have sold their song catalogs for various reasons. So they're not in control of where their music goes anymore. Neil Young still controls his. Well, um, the thing about Joe Rogan is anybody who listens to him that doesn't know that he is a butthead, if you listen to him because he's an idiot and it's entertaining, yeah. all right. But the problem is people listen to him and don't know that he's an idiot and think that just because he's got a show, somehow that gives him authority in so many uh, topics. Um, he that he himself, doesn't have any authority in. He himself kind of says that he is not an expert on some of the stuff he sounds off about. Now, well, again, he brings on people okay. who also aren't experts, yeah. but put themselves forward as experts, but and that's, that's the problem. There. That's up there with that's not criticism. I'm not an expert, but talk out your you-know-what about stuff you're not an expert in, right? But yeah, I agree with you. Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan. At this point, he's a known commodity. And the problem is not Joe Rogan. The problem is what people do with his content, right? Like back in the day when Howard Stern was the big shock jock and there were guys like, you know, Don Imus and even like, remember Jesse and Jean? In, they have a podcast uh, now. Yeah, but Jesse and Jean on the radio, like people didn't use Howard Stern and Jesse and Jean to make other people miserable. They didn't use that content as weapons against other people. It does not matter what Joe Rogan thinks about something medical. He is entitled to his opinion. He is not an expert. Why anybody would take that as anything other than a curiosity just baffles and kind of frightens me. Because it confirms their biases. Well, that's exactly it. Say, Joe agrees with me. That means Joe is smart. By extension, I am smart. Right. SMRT. Instead of it being, wait a minute, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, he's he an had, MMA commentator. He, he had Jordan Peterson on this week talking mm -hmm. about climate science. And Jordan Peterson has no idea about climate science. He is not a climate scientist. He is a psychology professor. 
Not um, anymore. Or was. Not anymore. Professor Emeritus. Yeah, which means they, his butt's out of there. But he goes on. They bring Jordan Peterson on to talk about climate science. Climate science. He, people think his name is Dr. Jordan Peterson, so that makes him a doctor of everything. He talks about climate science using climate science words. People think, well, if he's on as a guest, he must be an expert. Otherwise, why have him on as a guest? And they listen to the crap he says, and then they go off and they continue to spread nonsense courtesy of Joe Rogan, bringing on people who are not experts to speak as if they're experts. Okay, but Joe, Joe Rogan is a professional troll. I mean, come on, at this point, everybody knows what he's doing. He brings on anybody who is the center of controversy because it gets clicks, period, end of story. Take it as the curiosity as it is. If you are taking the Joe Rogan podcast as anything other than a curiosity, that problem does not lie with Joe Rogan. It lies on the people not putting it in its proper place. All right. And we're going to be putting our proper place um, by saying goodbye. Liana can be found at Red Liana K on Twitter. Liana yeah. K is her uh, YouTube channel. But, but uh, videos, nothing I uh, just said, nothing I just said is criticism of Joe Rogan. Oh, no, nothing. None of nothing, it is criticism. Nothing. It's all um, said with love. You can find me at newmusicnation.ca. Um, where I enter, I, I do, and Leah, find Leanna there too, newmusicnation.ca. Um, and we gotta go. Leanna, uh, do you wanna give the sign off? Bye bye. Bye bye.